I want to talk a little bit this morning about uh, the office of bishop. Of course, it's, uh, uh, that's a term. We'll get into it a little bit about that. But we're going to take it from 1 Timothy, the third chapter. So if you want to turn there, we'll turn to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you again for all you do for your people. Thank you for all that, the, that you have touched and moved and had your way. And yet, when we see the prayer request, it seems like it's the list just grows and grows. And yet, we see the praise list and we see it growing and growing. So even though you're touching in one area, seems like there's a need in another. Continue to move on all those. And we just had Sister Lois tell us to, to pray for Rita and Angie that have issues. And we ask, Lord, that you would intervene in both of their lives and have your way there. Whatever we do for you, we want you to get the praise and glory for it. And we want you to speak through us as we talk to the congregation about what the Word of God says, about different things, about issues, whatever. We want your name to be praised in all we say and do. So watch over us this hour. Speak through us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now I'm going to talk about the office of bishop. And of course, I just took that out of 1 Timothy 3 and 1. It says, this is a true saying. If a man desire the office of bishop, he desires a good work. Now, I could read all this down through. I'm going to just set aside all the reading because I'd have to read this whole chapter. And then, of course, um, there, it goes on over into other areas in the, the book of Titus. Uh, you would find in the, uh, Titus, the first chapter, starting there about verse 4, reading down through verse 9 in Titus, it repeats the exact same thing. It's about uh, offices that Peter, I mean, that Paul has told the people in those churches they need to have some people recognized for the positions they hold. I mean, you can't have six pastors in one church because it wouldn't work very well. Because one has more importance in one area, some in another. I've often said it, and I probably have said it here, that the direction that a pastor puts influence on seems like that's where the congregation puts their influence on. Whether right or wrong, there are some people that have a, a pastors that have a burden to help the homeless, for example. There are some that have a burden for those that have abortions or that line of thinking. There are some that have some for world evangelistic missions. And if the pastor has a desire for that, as he teaches, it'll come out of him and spread over the congregation and the congregation will kind of fall, I guess you'd say, in lockstep and carry on. Now, if there's nobody in the church to bring the thought of abortion to us, we're just not going to probably give much attention to it. Or if there's somebody comes in and, and is a missionary in Thailand and wants to speak to us and wants us to support them and work in Thailand, well, guess what? If the pastor's behind it, Others will give to it, right? And the church will support. So whatever that happens, so you can't have too many pastors. I know there are congregations out there um, that are about several thousands people, and the pastor doesn't even know all the people. They have what you'd say a senior pastor, and then they have a pastor of prayer and a pastor for Bible study, pastor for Sunday school, pastor for pastor for pastor, and singing or whatever. Uh, but in all of that, sometimes somebody's going to fall through the cracks. Amen? Um, I did hear a pastor, and it was the pastor of the vineyard that's in Tri-County. 
At that time, he had, I heard him speak, I was there in person, and he had over 3,500 people in his church. And he felt like he was doing his church a disservice because he said, I don't think a pastor that does his people right can have over 300 and still meet all the people's needs in his church. So I don't know, there's 3,500, I don't know any of them. As a matter of fact, I know people that went to his church that didn't know his name. Huh, what do you think of that? Everybody know who I am? Well, they, see there, I already proved my point. I'm dude, and y'all know it. All right? But nonetheless, um, in those churches in the first century, Paul told Timothy, go out. Make sure everybody knows who's doing what, what's where, when. Same thing with Titus. Appoint uh, elders and trustees and deacons in that congregation because there's a work that has to be done. Well, here we find that in verse 1 it says, if a man... Now that stops half of us right there. All right? Does a pastor have to be a man? Hmm. Well, uh, in Paul's society, he felt kind of compelled that that should be the training that should go forth. As a pastor, it should be a man. He thought it best for a woman not to be a leader in the church. Actually, I don't even want to get into it too much, but all you got to do is back up the, verse, the chapter before it and read from chapter 2, from verse uh, 9 down through uh, the end of that chapter. And that's Paul's, if you would, stance on women being silent in the church. Amen? Now, if a woman were silent in this church, wouldn't be a whole lot of noise, would there? Amen? Bonnie. Amen. Well, oh, let's just face it. Who sings the solos? Bonnie and Judy. Who sings for the trio? Bonnie, Debbie, and Mike. So he's outnumbered there two to one. Who sings in the joyful noise? Six women and three other guys. So we're outnumbered two to one. So in the music department, if we didn't have women, we wouldn't have a music department per se, let alone our only piano player. Rob can't play it. We'd depend on Marcia. Amen. Sister? Okay. Oh. Oh, yeah, the Oldsmobile. Yeah, right. And everything you, everything that's done in the church, you just look at every ministry we do, it's dependent on the women stepping up. But now we're talking here about the bishop or the pastor of the church. And even at that, I know several women pastors in the Southwest District of the Church of God, women pastors that were elected and put in. And I've been to churches that if a woman didn't step up and preach or do it, there wouldn't be anybody because there's no men in that congregation. You ever been in a church where it was entirely, 100% woman? Oh yeah, I've been there. They asked me to preach. And the other women did better. But nonetheless, amen. In our society, things have changed. They even got a, what was the thing they were just doing recently? Didn't they do a, 
hashtag women something. Uh, you know, when if a woman says this, that you have to believe her. Yeah? Well, that depends on what she said and who she said it about. And now that was just what our news media was promoting at that time. And guess what? There have been women nominated to be vice president as running mates, both Republican and Democrat in recent years. Amen? And we even had a woman run for president. In 2016, some of you may even have voted for her. She didn't win, but she ran. Amen? In 2020, we had a woman become the vice president of the United States. How about that? That's a pretty important position. And if, if Joe ever comes out of his stupor, he, she might, uh, might get to step in in his place. Amen. We have several women in Congress, both as senators and as representatives. And we even have a Speaker of the House that's a woman. Say what you want, have your opinions, but women do have a place in the society that you and I live in. Amen? So uh, to say a woman couldn't be a pastor is probably not looking at the whole thing the way it should be looked at. Um, but then on the other hand, the scripture does say some things about women. Um, it doesn't matter about that. But the, we shouldn't uh, discriminate someone because of their sex. Now, we're not supposed to discriminate for any reason, but sex is one we shouldn't discriminate against. I personally lost three jobs in my lifetime because I was a white male. Well, they had a quota they had to meet in those other categories based on whatever, whoever drew up their bylaws or whatever. And for that, I got shut out and probably was the most qualified for the position in all three of them. Amen? But again, that's our society. Amen? So if you don't like uh, what's going on around, we just got to do something about it. See, in our society, if you don't even like the sex you're in, that you are, you can change it. Well, you can change it, but God doesn't. Amen? Uh, I'm not sure it even changes God's mind if you decide to change that. But that's another topic for another time. Amen? Throughout the scriptures, when it speaks of an overseer, a bishop, a shepherd, an elder, for the most part, it uses a male pronoun. Of course, um, the Holy Spirit wrote this in a time when, in a society, when male was, if you would, dominant in those leadership positions. So if a church thinks a woman is the best fit for that position, so be it. I personally do know several that are uh, female pastors, and it comes down to when we think about what Paul's teaching here, is Paul laying down the law on what a bishop should be? Or is Paul just making a few recommendations? So in the letters to Timothy and Titus, he says the same thing. So now throughout 
the time we spend in this portion of scriptures, <clears throat> when I use the word man or a masculine pronoun, you can think of it any way you want, see it as you see fit, whether it's a man or a woman that fits that situation. So here we find that in the scriptures here, and actually in verse number two, I didn't read it, of uh, chapter 3, it says that the, the, the guy that wants this position should be the husband of one wife. Well, um, that brings in the whole other topic. Amen? If he's the husband of one wife, then someone uh, needs to see what the situation is there. Is that he the husband of one wife? But again, that would denote an old-fashioned marriage scenario, if you would, of a husband and a wife. But not in modern marriages. We have families that have two husbands. We have families that have two wives. And they have, they have children or they adopt children. They raise children. They try to think of it as their being normal and we're the ones that look at it through the uh, oddball set of eyes. But again, that's another topic for another time. So now go back to verse 1 there. It says, if a man desire the office of bishop, there has to be a desire behind the office of the position. Now what does desire mean to you? Think about a desire. You, what do you desire? Besides, in my case, butterscotch pie on Wednesday at Hyde's. There are things we desire, we like, we want more of. Amen? So the desire seems to be something that we need to take in to think about when we talk about the office of a bishop. A bishop, a bishop in our pastoral, if you would, bylaws, it means pastor. And he's often referred to and is in our bylaws as the CEO of the corporation called Faith Christian Fellowship. But before the church turns over the reins of the church to a person, the church should make sure that that person desires that office. They should have exhibit the ability <clears throat> excuse me, to lead the church <clears throat> with a right set of priorities as the pastor. As a pastor that had studied other pastors, desire is very key. Amen? That's why I believe Paul wrote down a lot of the things he wrote in this chapter, and of course in Titus 2 and other places in Scripture, where the pastor needs to have his act together, so to speak. Because without a proper desire, even if elected, that person will fall back to his own personal desire at times or will even lose what desire he did have and probably leave the church worse off than it was before he came. Amen? Now, most of us present have been pastored by more than one pastor. Mm -hmm. Sure you have. Yeah, you've been around the church very long. Amen. I'm not the only pastor you've ever had. Is that true for everybody? I, I would think so. Amen. I didn't, didn't count them out, but yeah. Most of you have been other places. 
So you personally have seen different pastors with different desires, haven't you? The things I desire, even not speaking bad about Brother Jack, he had a set of different desires than I had. Amen. And the next pastor that comes probably will have a different set of desires than I got or even Brother Jack had. That doesn't mean it's good, doesn't mean it's bad. But you have to know what those desires are. Amen? Each of those pastors brought those desires to the table, and even if they didn't 100% agree with everything that went on, you and I was sad when that pastor was no longer your current pastor. Because of the things he did do that helped you, otherwise you wouldn't have stayed there to listen to what he had to say as pastor. After all, pastoring may not be a lifetime appointment. See, I got elected as pastor, but I don't think of it as I'm the Supreme Court Justice with a lifetime appointment here. And even we've seen in the last um, few years a couple of those fellas uh, and a lady on the Supreme Court had to be replaced, not because they lost their desire, it's because they died. Amen? And then we've recently had one that his seat has yet to be filled that said, I'm tired, I'm going home. Amen? Now, I don't know what his desire is, but it seems to me like it may not be 100% pure, but that I'll leave that up to them. There could be a death or health or something else going on or even a, a pastor in his capacity to be a pastor is diminishing. Amen. Such as eyesight, hearing, health, other things could bring to a pastor's mind that maybe somebody else could do a better job. Be stronger about it, get more things done. Amen. We don't all stay young forever. Even if there was a perfect age for a pastor, that'd only last a year, wouldn't it? So there is no such thing as that. That would uh, uh, be something you'd have to deal with. And if a pandemic came in that pastor's perfect year, well, he'd get shot out altogether, wouldn't he? Because basically for two years we have not been normal because of the pandemic. I done missed my best two years, Judy. Amen. Alright, nonetheless, uh, look at what it says here in verse number two. A bishop must, M-U-S-T. Hmm. He has to be, without exception, blameless. He must be blameless. And actually, Titus says exactly the same thing. Okay? How many of you think I'm blameless? Oh, don't raise your hand now, whatever you do. Amen. All right. Now, I do know one thing for sure. Because once he's a pastor, even if he was blameless when he got here, He's not going to pastor very long till he's going to be blamed for something. He's no longer going to be blameless. Now, I realize I'm playing on that word there and what it means or what it uh, says to us because I can tell you, if there's anything happens bad in the church, 
we know where the blame lies. Amen? If it's too hot, if it's too cold, if the message is too long, or the message is too short, if he uses notes when he preaches, or if he don't use notes when he preaches, and Lord forgive us if he wears a tie or not, what if he's too loud? Or he's too squishy soft. Amen. Now I know there are several in the congregation here that are hard hearing. But I've talked to them. Every one of them says they can hear me when I speak. We have other speakers come in and they say, I couldn't hear a word he said. I couldn't make it out. He's so soft. Well, I understand. And he wouldn't be blameless in your eyes, so to speak. And if he reads too many scriptures... But then if he doesn't read enough scriptures, what if he's too funny? Or what if he's just got a dry sense of humor that can't even keep everybody awake? Amen. Think back to all the excuses for someone to choose not to worship here and then say, who did they blame? Everyone I know that left said it was my fault. Did you know that? Wow. It happens. Amen. Now, they may not totally 100% say that, but they use that as an excuse as to why they no longer worship at Faith Christian Fellowship. So, here's my warning to you that desire the office of, of bishop Remember, there's plenty of blame to go around and you're going to get your share for sure. Amen? But then the fact that blameless is the first thing Paul puts in this list, in this text, and in Titus 1 and 6, should mean to the church that not everyone qualifies. There could be many qualifications that fall under the title of blameless. Amen? But if you appoint someone to be a leader, he should at least be able to lead in a godly manner based on the Word of God and the Spirit of God's leading the church that he's been appointed to be the pastor or voted in or however term you want to say it, wherever he's been given the privilege to pastor that work. That person should be reliable. That person should be faithful and even supportive financially. Hmm. Did you get that? Amen. Now God asked you to tithe, but did he ask me? Well, hello? Come on now. But I do know peop, uh, pastors that think because they're on salary, they don't have to contribute. That don't make sense to me. Amen. I'll tell you right now. Those are the ones you see on the TV news broadcast that are being indicted for corruption and fraud to cover up their gambling habits. Amen? 
Well, we'll get into finances in a little bit. Paul talks about it later. Several years ago, I was called to fill in a position in a church. Actually, it was down in West Virginia. Went there several times to preach to them, back and forth. And it was, a, I think, about a five-hour drive one way for me to preach. I would have to leave really early in the morning to get there in time for church to preach to those folks. And they needed a pastor because they had elected a pastor and he came in, they uh, put him in a parsonage, set him and his family up. They were doing, uh, he was preaching right along for him. But within just a few months, he left in the middle of the night without warning and the next phone bill that that congregation got was over $300 worth of sex calls on the phone bill. Now that in my category wouldn't fall in the blameless category. Amen? Now I don't know what you consider blameless. There are a lot of things that jump off the page to me that would say that guy's not blameless in the desire to have the office of a bishop. Amen? It might be well advised to the church to do some background checks before giving the position out to anybody that just shows up and says they want the position or they desire it or God showed me or God called me. Um, We've got to be careful about who takes my place or who even takes any position as a pastor. Oh, by the way, if you're spreading poison at Faith Christian Fellowship and leave for another congregation, I think it's my duty to get in touch with that other pastor that you go to, to worship with them and let them know what you did here, <coughs> excuse me, and the tracks you left behind. Amen? And I'll tell you another thing, and I have done it. If someone came here from another congregation, I called the pastor. So-and-so came to our church. Something going on? What's happening? And we had it out. Or we discussed it. And, well, that's just the right thing to do. Because if you can spread poison here, you can spread poison there. And I think the pastor should be aware of that going into that. It's all a matter of being blameless. Just like you have to tithe, I have to tithe. Just like I have to be blameless. Amen. Well, so be blameless as a Christian even if you never desire to be the pastor. Amen. Whatever position of authority you have or whatever position you take on in the church, whatever you want to do in the church, all of us need to do to the best of our ability whatever work we do from little kid teaching right on to pastor in the church it's a blameless situation amen I think he means blameless you just need to be an honest to goodness sold out child of God to be a pastor well isn't that the same for any other position in the church amen next we already spoke on it uh, the leader's position there in verse 2 but uh, but it does say there that uh, he should be the husband of one wife 
eh, you know, there are people that won't sit under me when I first started pastoring because I had been divorced. You know what the sad part about that is? The person that wouldn't sit under me that was, because I was divorced had been divorced. Huh. Uh, don't ask me why. Anyway, I know pastors that have never in their lifetime, they were single, they've been single their whole life, they continued to be single, they died being single, never was married, never nothing. Excellent men of God. Amen? So, when it says the husband of one wife, I guess that means one at a time, I guess. I, maybe we should take it that way. Amen. But here we have pastors that I know that have a, a divorced, remarried, and yet they fit the bill of doing the job God wanted them to do as the pastor of a congregation. But I will say this. The greatest helper a pastor has is a strong, faithful spouse. Amen? You can say what you want. Look around, check out the pastors. And the reason I say that, because I do know a couple of pastors that had unfaithful companions, and eventually it destroyed the pastor and the work he was doing in the congregation where he was. Amen? It did. I mean, I'm just telling you the facts about it. And, it, and if you want names, I could give them, but I don't think it would help you. It don't need to know that but I've been that close to some of them and know, and they had confidence enough in me to say that, yet I probably never told my wife. She doesn't know any of them probably that I'm talking to you about, if you would, in a generic sense. Amen? So, when it comes to a spouse, a person that desires to be a bishop, it's advisable that not only he be blameless, she be blameless. They both can go hand in hand in working for the Lord. In our 43 years of marriage, very few times I came to church, she wasn't there with me. Or vice versa. Amen. Very, very few. Amen. But it says to move on with that. And to move on, the next thing he says, we need to be vigilant. What is vigilant? Huh. Well, they need to be Vigilant, a person that's vigilant is somebody that's going to be active in the work themselves. Amen? Amen. Now, it's good that, they're, they're, that a pastor can delegate some jobs. And there are some jobs that should be delegated because the pastor's probably not good at that. Amen. I learned that early on. Can I tell you something? You may not know this. I'm not very smart on computer and IT work. I just, I mean, I can email and I can text, but don't try to take me too much farther than that. I don't even know how to get baseball tickets from the Cincinnati Reds. I rely on someone else that knows how to do that. I enjoy the tickets, but I didn't know how she got them, and I'm not even going to ask. Amen? I lean on Brother Mike constantly to make sure the speakers are right, I sound right, I do right, Especially when I sing, he tricks everything I do through those speakers. That's great, isn't it? There are areas that I have to delegate. I have to. I don't know that IT stuff. Amen. 
Yeah, I don't know how much money you gave four years ago. He can find it for me if I wanted to know that. So if the IRS calls me and asks me, did you give that much? I'll just tell them, hold on. I'll have that answer for you in just a few minutes. Hello, Mike. So if the IRS comes, it's because they got the truth. So don't cheat on your taxes. You got to be blameless in every area. There are things that need to be delegated out, but not all of them. Hey, man, when it comes to fixing chili, I don't have to delegate that. Man, I could make some of the best three-meat chili that's ever been put together. Hey, Amen. with a little bit of help with my wife. But nonetheless, there's some things I can do, and I do. And there's some things I shouldn't do. Hey, Amen. I can tell you, I tried painting. Bonnie and I did. We painted our bedroom. She's about to fall off the seat laughing about it. It took us about three weeks, six weeks, and it was terrible when we got done. We're still suffering from the ugly bedroom we slept in that we tried to paint. That's just not my calling. There's something about some jobs that have to be perfect that a mechanic's just not good at. Amen. If duct tape and a big hammer won't fix it, man, I'm in trouble. Amen. But there are jobs that it's good to delegate because somebody else can do better than I can. And there's time. sometimes, as a pastor, you're going to find you're so busy, you don't even have time to do other things. So in those cases, delegate them to somebody that will do a good job and report back to you that it got done, it got done right, and it got done on the right time. Amen? Those are things that should be done. Amen? But I think there are other things that are, uh, don't have to be, if you would, delegated out. Uh, but that's just the way it is. I realize vacation's necessary. Amen. But they shouldn't be routine. Shouldn't be once a month. Amen. How would I look as a pastor if once a month I should have, well, time for our monthly vacation. All right? Or my eight-month vacation, I'll see you in December. Well, no, that wouldn't work. Amen. Pastors are allowed to, to do the work if it's necessary, but he shouldn't be doing everything in the church. But he has the opportunity when he does work to train, to bring along somebody behind him on how to do those things. That's what the, uh, Paul did with Timothy. He mentored Timothy in how to be what God needed him to be as a leader in the church. So the, the work that he did, he may, may not have done a whole lot of physical work in some of the churches, although he was a tent maker. And a lot of people in the first century lived in tents. Amen? So he was a construction worker, so to speak, and he could have passed that training on to someone else but nonetheless, uh, he should be doing and training others every time he does a job, even though those aren't the areas that maybe that person has expertise in or not, he can get the training he needs to move forward in those areas. Amen? So he can carry on that work personally if necessary. Well, the next thing it says in the scripture there, and I'm still in verse 2 after 
vigilant. It says be sober. Now, that doesn't mean he's not an alcoholic. That's not what that sober means. Sober means the way you think is you think soberly. You ever heard that term? Well, sober in the, in the Bible tense is, is a different word than here. But I can tell you the first line in verse number three deals with alcoholics. So if you're thinking sober as being a non-alcoholic, if you would, um, that will be covered when we get to verse three. All right, but sober means level-headed. Gets along with people. Thinks things through before he speaks. Amen? So before you run off with something else, you need to think about it. Think about the... Re There's a lot of things I don't say because I know how somebody would take it. And I don't have the extra two hours to call them aside and say, don't think the way you just heard that because that's not right. Amen? We need to get everything so that everything comes out the way God wants it to. Consider what they say and how others interpret it or misinterpret it if it's not thought out and put forth in the right tense, in the right way of saying things. Amen. You know something? Occasionally, more times than you probably realize or thought, I go back and listen to a message I already preached. Usually two, three weeks later, I'll pull one up and listen to it. Never yet have I pulled one up and listened to it that I said, wonder why I said that. I don't remember that. That's not in my notes. What's going on here? Well, those are the things sometimes we have to uh, either allow the Holy Spirit to say, well, the Holy Spirit wanted to speak to somebody at that point or whatever, but it happens. But for the most part, I try really careful not to say something to upset somebody when I'm preaching unnecessarily. And then there are times when God says, shoot from the hip. Go for it. They need to hear it right from the Word of God. Amen? That's what means to be sober. You think things through before you react. Amen? What Brother Jack always say? Uh, don't react, respond, was one of Brother Jack White's sayings. Amen? Well, then it says, of good behavior. Amen? Of good behavior. What's your good behavior? Well, <clears throat> I think if, if someone that uh, has good behavior, they get along with other people. Amen? I know there are people that probably would rather not <coughs> be all that close with me, and, and I even know and have seen them avoid me. Amen? They see me coming up the steps, and they run in the ladies' bathroom real quick, or run in and hide somewhere else, <coughs> or turn and start a conversation with somebody. Yeah, I don't know. I, I think I understand some of that. But everybody should have good behavior. One thing is, if everybody can get along with everybody, the first thing you have to learn to do is listen. Did you know that? If someone has a problem with you, I'm going to say, I'm going to jump out on a limb and say 90% of the time it's because they didn't listen to you. Amen? 
They jump to conclusion as to what they thought you meant or what they thought you was thinking and didn't really hear you out. So to have good behavior, I think it starts with being a good listener. Even if they disagree with you, be able to express that without being disagreeable. Amen? That's good behavior. The next thing, it says he has to be given to hospitality. Welcoming. Amen. When we have visitors come in, I want everybody to make sure you speak to them, welcome them, say hi, because I have been to, and I've heard the testimony of others that have been to churches. They went in, sat down, listened, it was over, they got up and left, and nobody spoke to them. Amen. Brother Leo sat telling me all the time since he left here, he's having a trouble finding the church because they just aren't friendly. They don't make them feel at home. Amen. They don't have hospitality. They're not given to hospitality. Amen. Now, if you're going to go to a, a church where there's 7,000 people there, don't expect the pastor to come down and shake your hand because he's got 6,999 ahead of you. Amen. And he don't know their names either. Amen? But I want you to know you need to be welcoming. And you know what that also means to me? Not just at church. Huh. You can open your homes to somebody that you know has a need. Amen. Now, you don't have to take them in your house to give them a bed to sleep in overnight if they don't have a place you need to be welcoming and hospitable enough to see to it that that need gets taken care of. Amen. I get calls as pastor on a regular basis. I don't want to say how often, but regularly, of people that don't have food, don't have a place to stay, their gas tank's empty, and they want me to just, I guess, fill them up, take them to Red Lobster, and then take them to Hotel Six. I don't know what they want and pick up the tab for all of it. And I just tell them, that's not in our budget. But I'll tell you where you can get that help. And I do. And everybody I've done that with, followed that, if you would, protocol, nobody has come back to me and said they didn't help me. Amen. So you have to be aware of telling them where to get the help, even though you can't give them that kind of help. Amen. So... Whenever there's a function at the church, even if it's not a church setting, maybe even a chili cook-in. If somebody comes to the chili cook-in, we need to make them feel welcome. Amen. That's, a, that's just part of being hospitable. Amen. So no matter what ages are present, if it's little kids, lower yourself down and say, good to see you today. How you doing? Glad you came. Amen. Or... If it's an old grump, amen, with dirty clothes, say, have a seat, brother. Enjoy the service. Glad you're here. Amen? Whatever, the ap whatever application applies to that. As adults, we need to be able to reach to the children. And as if, if you would, even as adults, reach other adults, the age should have nothing to do with it. It should have everything to do with being hospitable as the Word of God would teach 
the people of God to be. And then the last thing it says in, in verse number two is he has to be apt to teach. Now, every pastor should be able to teach. Amen. That, that should be a gimme. He should be able to teach. But that doesn't mean he can preach. Because there are people that can teach that aren't very good at preaching. And I think teaching appeals to the brain first and then goes where that person wants it to go, where preaching goes to the heart first and then goes to wherever that person that receives it wants it to go. Amen. So if you do a good job of teaching, it'll come into your brain. And if you did a good job, it'll filter itself down to your heart. If you did a good job of preaching, it'll hit you in the heart. And then it'll work its way up to the brain and that person will say, I got to do something about that. That's not right. I need to straighten that out in my life. Amen. That's the way things work. I think this message it actually is probably more teaching than it is preaching. I don't expect the altars to be covered up three deep when the first note of the altar call hits after this message. This is more of a learning setting than a heart-wrenching setting. Amen? But it should be okay to teach occasionally. After all, I've already preached over 800 times from this pulpit. Hmm. All right, verse 3. Not given to wine. Of course, that's also the uh, same in Titus. Um, when he talks about deacons later on, uh, he says that the deacon shouldn't be given to much wine. Well, I'd say if it's uh, zero, that would probably fit the bill either way. But i got to say one thing. Alcohol for a pastor is a definite no-no. In our society, in our time, there are so many people that need pastoral help because of alcohol. And if the pastor was involved in alcohol probably wouldn't have the right kind of counsel to give to the person that's stymied by alcoholism. Amen? Alcohol is, is something that I think is a definite no-no. I don't even have to go into that. I think that's kind of obvious. Then he says, uh, uh, after not given to wine, no striker. What's a striker? Does that mean he carries a sign and walks a picket line and and we're not going to work for the company until they meet our needs. And they, he has a dog on the leash, a pit bull. And No, that, that, that's not what a striker means. A striker here, um, they, uh, uh, a striker is someone that always has to prove his point and does it forcefully. Every time you mention something, is there someone that, I ain't right, I'm going to straighten you out. And I mean, yeah, that's a striker. You know, you need to listen to their point. I know, growing up in the Church of God, we had a lot of strikers over sanctification. But once we got down to brass tacks, if you would, got down to the Word of God, opened it up, read it, understood it, saw how God used sanctification in, the, in a Christian's life, all those people that would not listen seemed to disappeared. They went and started a church somewhere else and now they're 
probably not even in church because the attitude of being a striker will follow them to the next issue that comes along. Amen. So a striker is someone that has to prove his point. For example, they yell when they don't get their way. Ever had anybody do that? What are you laughing at, Judy? Oh, ah, now we're pointing fingers even. All right, amen. If you don't get your way, you're going to let them know about it. Who do you think you are? Amen. And then it causes them to make bad judgments while they're upset because somebody yells at them. How many of you like to be yelled at? No? Okay, well, then we won't yell. But while you're upset for them yelling at you, then you feel like, oh, I'll yell back. If she can yell at me, I can yell at her. Huh? That's fair. Right? No. Well, pretty soon, a striker will have everything out of control. Amen? All right, now we get down to the brass tacks here. Not greedy of filthy lucre. That has to do with money. Can I tell you, I know pastors that left a church for another church because they got an increase in pay. That was the only reason. They wanted more money. Amen. Anybody that's in the ministry for the money is probably going to be disappointed because I checked with the IRS. It's been a few years back, and I doubt if it's changed any. But the lowest paying salaried person in America is a pastor of a church as an average income for an occupation. Pastor is number one, the lowest. Amen. And I feel like contributing to that. I keep mine down so <laughs> I don't upset the apple cart on the statistics. Amen. No. I can tell you why. Money is a bad motivator. Bad, bad, bad motivator. If you change jobs every two months because you can get another dime or two out of another employee somewhere, you'll probably never be established in your job. Amen? And I know people, we talk about church hoppers, I know job hoppers looking for more money, more benefits, or whatever they're looking for. Amen? There's something to be said for a person that works 30 plus years on the same job. Amen? That speaks of their character just a little bit. Amen? Not that they didn't have opportunity to move. They probably did. But they thought, well, I'm here. I'll stick it out, I guess, or I'll make ends do. But here we go. On the other hand, the scripture does say that the ox is worth, is worthy of his hire. So if you get it, pastor, don't starve him to death. But then on the other hand, he doesn't have to drive a limousine. To, he doesn't drive Teslas while everybody else is driving Yugos. Amen? Amen. We've got to be balanced in the way we deal with the salary of the pastor. Actually, if we were balanced in everything we do as far as paying a pastor or uh, any worker in the church, uh, salary wouldn't be an issue. Huh. It's a non-issue if greed doesn't get involved. Amen? 
And then it says, be patient. Are you patient? They already told me they got somewhere to be. They're not leaving because I'm taking all their money. Amen. And now we get down to patient and not a blower. Wow. What's that say to you? Well, not always looking for a fight. Not always looking to straighten out everybody else. But rather always ready to be helpful under different scenarios that a church would come across or a church would face. He'd be able to sit down, think it through, and without a fight, work out the details, work out the scenario that makes everything be what it should be. And then, of course, at the end of that verse, we only got through three verses of it. You can read the rest of it, and it'll all make sense if you just use what's in the first three verses to understand uh, what a pastor should be. He says, not covetous. Not trying to keep up with the Joneses. Willing to change if needed, but not just to be better than somebody else. Amen? Now, a lot of the things that we're going to say about verse 4 and 5, we've already covered and all that, but just dropping down to verse number 6, not a novice. What's a novice mean? Rookie. Somebody new at it. Somebody doesn't have a lot of experience. Shouldn't be that way. There's plenty of room in the church for growth without putting an inexperienced person at the head of the church, if you would, or to make them the CEO. Amen. The only time a CEO gets moved up ahead in a company around is if it's the boss's son to start with. Amen. Sometimes he'll move him up. But pastoring requires maturity. Am I saying that? Maturity, maturity, something like that. You got to grow up. You got to be level-headed. Because the devil can work on an immature pastor so easily. He can be influenced by other strong-willed people in the congregation. I remember talking to, uh, who's the guy we went to see at Indianapolis? John Maxwell took a job as a pastor in Indiana, a little country church. Very few there. Had the first trustee meeting. And he went in, was going to straighten everybody out. Nobody listened to a word he said. But there was an old brother, I wasn't, Claude, that's him. Whenever Claude spoke, man, their ears jumped forward to hear what Claude had to say. Amen. Sometimes an immature pastor needs to learn who really has influence in that congregation. Amen. So now he's been through college. He's got a Ph.D. He's got a D.D.L.D. and a double D and a couple more D's and all kinds of documents that he could put certificates for on the wall but everything he said but when Claude spoke everybody listened amen well eventually now John Maxwell wherever he speaks they listen but he learned it from someone else that already had maturity somebody else that wasn't a novice in that congregation 
Amen? As a pastor, you need to be tough when you need to be, and you need to be gentle when you need to be, and mature enough to know the difference. Amen? Now there's more to it. Now it's already close enough that your, your stomachs are already growling for lunch. I'm going to stop right there, and I just want you to know that we need to move forward as a church. We need to do the right things as a church. We need to get the right person for the position in the church. And in the meantime, we all need to keep on being the church. Because if someone comes in and sees the church that all they're doing is sitting in the pews waiting for somebody to tell them what to do, they're probably going to say, you know what, I can do that down the street and get more money. And you might miss out on the person that God really could put here and make this a, a outstanding church for years and years to come. So we need to listen and understand what's going on. And when the time comes to move, we'll make the move and we'll make the right moves. Amen? Any questions on any of this? I know it's more of a teaching than 